Hello everyone, this is Rico. Coming up on Treks and Sci-Fi, I interview the two writers that worked on the Star Trek Resurgence game, Dan Martin and Andrew Grant. Stay tuned, it's coming up. Captain's Log, Stardate 57931.4. Starfleet has tasked us with a mission of the highest priority. Two formerly peaceful neighbors are now on the brink of war. While protocol might suggest we alert Starfleet about our situation, I think we're better off keeping this to ourselves. You go first. No time to fight me on this. If we can't go to war, we're sitting ducks here. It puts the mission and everyone on the ship at risk. They respect one thing, and that is force. Our losses are mounting. Yours are just beginning. Look out! We're being hailed by the USS Titan. Sorry to keep you waiting, Resolute. We're up against something greater than we can imagine. The Takan were once the most advanced, most powerful civilization in the galaxy. How dare you disturb me? Portal 6-3. We need your help. Hello everyone, this is Rico, and you're about to hear another episode of Treks and Sci-Fi. This is a show that's going to go out on January 14th. It is, believe it or not, show 925, which is ridiculous. But uh, you got a special show coming towards you or to you. Is that I don't even know how the right way to say that is. Coming at you. Uh, I have Dan Martin, Andrew Grant, two of the writers, correct, of the fairly recent release Star Trek Resurgence game. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi. Hi, Rico. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. yeah Hello. Thanks for having us. You're both located West Coast, right? Yep. I'm in the Los Angeles area. And uh, can you, you send? Know, well, it has been getting pretty frosty at night here. <laughs> uh, it's still sunny and still beautiful. Well, I live in Michigan, so I, I, you know, but years and years ago, and I do go to California occasionally still, I, 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 I grew up out there for a couple of years. I lived in Huntington Beach. So I love California. It's way too expensive, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a great place. So. And, and I'm in Northern California, and relative to uh, Dan in Southern California, it is freezing up here. <laughs> relative to Michigan, it's balmy. But uh, well, we're supposed to be cold. single, like single digits next week. We had a little snow today. You know, I I um I always tell people I've lived in Michigan most of my life. I always tell people that I I don't mind the winter. It's just way too long. It lasts way too long here. You know, it'll six months of gray skies and cold weather. So. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about Star Trek Resurgence. First off, what I want to what I want to let the people who are listening know in a, in a couple of minutes for each of you, tell us your background about Star Trek in general. When did you start watching it? What show do you like the most? Whatever you'd like to share. I always like to anybody who does Trek projects, whether it's books or games or anything like that. I 
I like to find out what they're, you know, it, it, do they just do this because it, it came on their lap and they're not really into Star Trek, which I find hard to believe. But tell me a little bit. Why don't we start with Andrew? What, what's your uh, what's your background with Trek? Uh, well, I'm going to take you all the way back to the very beginning. When I was a kid growing up in Southern California, there was a park near my house called Will Rogers Park. And I was riding my bike there yeah. one day and they were shooting a movie. And I was super curious. It's not uncommon to see movies being shot in Southern California. And what they were shooting was Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Oh. And it was the scene where they land the bird of prey in uh, the park. And I think that's supposed to be Golden Gate Park. But yeah, everybody course, remember where I parked her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually shot uh, near my house. And that was around the time I was uh, sort of into the next generation and that was the show that kind of won me over cool cool well it's yeah i mean you guys are living out in that area i always forget that you can bump into people you can see filming going on all kinds of that kind of stuff happening although it's it's funny now well movies are a little different but you know like they're shooting a lot of the new the new trek that's been airing in in toronto i think so it's you know things have moved a little i don't know it's a lot of financial stuff. So how about you, Dan? What's, what's your uh, start with Trek? Well, I think my entry point is probably the same, but it was watching uh, Star Trek IV in a second-run theater um, uh -huh. in the suburbs of Massachusetts, which is where I grew up. So a long way from uh, the filmmaking side of it. But, you know, we got Star Trek there, and it was um, appointment viewing on channel 56 at the top of the dial for yeah. star trek the next generation that was my star trek that's where i got into it um and i followed it since uh re-watching shows when they came out on dvd again on streaming so i've seen you know every episode every movie a lot of them twice more than that um so i'm a i'm you know definitely a uh a fan before i came to it professionally so it was unlike some kind of licensed projects where you work on it yeah. and you have to, uh, you know, find the thing that interests you about the material and you have to kind of investigate it just to be able to talk about it. Research uh, and things. It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this was, you know, it was all, all there somewhere rattling around. And then of course, once you start working on it professionally, you do end up taking a more academic, uh, approach to it and you have to know, more than you did just for your conversations with your friend over, you know, what is the point of EPS conduits? Why do the consoles <laughs> always explode? Yeah, um, seems like a bad power distribution uh, method, but uh, but it, it looks cool, right? right? And you know, it looks cool. Exactly. It looks cool. Yeah. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great for both of you guys. Uh, thanks for sharing that. The you know, my my quick rundown. It sounds like Dan's at least heard some of my stuff. I started with original series reruns so you know that's my show although i love tng i watched that i've watched all of them you know all the movies all the shows i enjoy most of the recent stuff too i have a few things i could we could do a whole show about that that i you know we could get in you know that i talk about each you know not every week different things different topics but yeah star trek has always been to me i i have a science background it probably got me into science uh, and, and the last thing I'll say before, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but because everyone who listens to the podcast knows it, but the thing that started my podcast was back when Enterprise was canceled, 
way back in 2005, I, I was I was pretty sad about that. I was I thought the show was starting to really kick and 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 do well, and and it was then it was looking very dark, you know, in terms of I don't know if we're going to get any more Star Trek anytime soon. So I said, hey, let's I'll start a podcast. That's kind of when podcast was really podcasts were starting to really take off, and I was I'd cover different trek episodes then you know in movies and then i kind of branched into because i like i mean i'm a big star wars fan i watch you know a lot of other tv shows and movies so pretty much a nerd but the but star trek was what started it and i'm still doing it just because it's fun and, and i'm really glad to do you know interviews like this with you guys uh last thing i guess uh, about that related bring it back towards the gaming side of things I wouldn't say I'm the biggest gamer in the world, uh, but I but I've you know I've gamed with pretty much any gaming system they've ever invented and off and on. But I'm not a. There are people that the minute a new game comes out, they're there at midnight or whatever, you know, downloading it these days and 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 playing it, you know, taking days off work. I'm not that guy. I, I would consider myself a casual gamer. So, with that said, and now we can get into Star Trek Resurgence proper. I, I I would say that my type of gaming style or what I the way I game is is really suited towards your game honestly because it you know it, it's not super reflex you know you don't have to like oh my gosh there's there's 20 ships coming at me and I got to blast them all in 2 seconds or I'm dead type of thing so with that I don't know which one of you would like to speak first but can you tell me a little bit about in a few minutes for each of you or, or, or just one of you, whatever you'd like, how did the process start? Like, I, I don't know that much. I mean, I know games are written. I know there's a lot of obviously tech side of it, you know, for all the, what you see in the game, what are your roles? How does it begin? And I know you've each done some, some games, other games as well. So I'm just more interested, I guess, in in the process, and then we can get into maybe you can tell us more about the game itself, where you came up with the ideas somewhat, and, and how you broke down like who worked on what. I'm kind of interested in that as well. So, with that's a big mouthful, but to start with, how how do these things start? Do do you just what what is that? Well, What's the beginning? That's a that's a broad question. Yeah, I'll try I to know. Answer it in parts. Um, <laughs> I'm the lead writer and Andrew was the primary other writer who was on the whole project from start to finish uh, okay. together. Um, we're also producers on the game and we were there from before there was a script, before there was a game. Um, it was basically a dream and a license. Uh, we, you know, based on our history of making games together, Andrew and I both worked at Telltale Games with a lot of people who also worked there. Um, we... Uh, it was our history of making games that focused on the story that uh, got, gave the confidence to Paramount, which was CBS at the time, uh, that we would handle their property with care and uh, mm -hmm. tell okay. a great story in game format. Um, and so it started without necessarily even having a, a story in mind. It was just the kind of games that we make uh, where the player gets to drive the story based on their choices uh, really lent itself to Star Trek, sure. and that uh, you know that match was pretty obvious to see. And then once you know we had that lined up, began the process of figuring out what story do we want to tell. Mm -hmm. um, and it you know it it involved market research, just you know kind of the boring stuff where you find out what 
eras of Star Trek people are into, what characters they're into. But um, let me jump so in real, it... real quick on that. Did do this Paramount or CBS or whatever entity you want to call it? Did they do they direct anything like say, hey, we want a game set in this with the involving these things? Like, how much do they? have input or it sounds like what you're starting to say is you kind of got to pick what you wanted to do somewhat. And I know they have to obviously approve things, but go go ahead. Actually they, they had a ton of input throughout the process, but at the very beginning it really was wide open in terms of what era we wanted to um, pursue, which characters we wanted to include. Like it really was wide open and that's great. That was, uh, you know, a blessing and a curse in a sense. Yeah, exactly. With Star Trek. Yeah. You've got all this to play with. What, what do you want to do instead? You know, it's like, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And there's just so much to explore and, and so many ideas were kicked around, but it also allowed us to sort of hone in on sort of the sweet spot of what we were most passionate about. And I think, for everyone on the production team and on the creative team, the next generation was sort of the touchstone for, for all of us mm-hmm. and those characters and and sort of that style. And so that really informed a lot of what we did. And yeah. from there, it was sort of a, a sort of creative brainstorming in terms of what uh, what sort of franchise characters would we like to include in, in our game? And so... You know, Dan, maybe you want to talk about like our creative <laughs> conference and and how it all evolved from there. Yeah, well, the the nuts and bolts of it were that you know we talked about having Spock. Um, can somebody mute their microphone? I can hear. Uh, there you go. Sorry, Andrew. I was uh, hearing myself speak in with an echo, which is. Uh, <laughs> There's actually a, a device that is called a brain jammer, where if you, it's just basically a reverse megaphone that shoots your own speech back at you at a delay, and it causes people's brains to scramble so they can't keep talking. So, <laughs> a uh, good torture Andrew, device for a future game or something, right? Yeah. Very sci-fi of you, Andrew, for uh, aiming that at me. Um, so, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> it was more related yes, okay. to the the breaking down. I think I think it was of the original story elements of you guys had yeah. some kind of conference meetings or calls or something with various staff people, Paramount, whoever, CBS. Yeah. So going into we had a story conference at the beginning of 2020, and leading up to that, we had a number of calls with uh, the licensing group um, that was CBS at the time, uh, talking about what eras we were interested in and honing in on. Um, the kind of canonical hooks that we were going to put into the game and similarly the characters that we wanted to target. And one of the things that uh, that decided for us was like a time period. And it wasn't just Next Generation, but it was also, this was before um, Lower Decks had come out, before Picard season one had even come out. So we were trying to make sure that we didn't bump up against the time frame that that was all going to take place because we couldn't really know what the big stories were going to be. Right. Um, yeah. You know, Paramount, they, they they take care of making sure that they know what's going on and they can steer you away from things. But we wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to, uh, you know, step around the landmines there. Um, and we wanted it to be after the movies of Star Trek The Next Generation. I, th- I believe that Star Trek Nemesis was kind of the latest uh, canonical event. Um, yeah, so for people listening, Deep Space Nine. did you have an exact 
time frame? Was it a few years supposedly after Nemesis? It's something like that, five years or three or four. Or I can't remember based on what I've seen in the game so far. I mean, I know it's, I could tell so it when it's place, set. Yeah. It takes place the year after Nemesis. Is that what it, it is? Place, okay. Yeah, 2380. Um, and it's December of 2380 oh, based okay. on our star date. Okay. Uh, so that, so that there's the, the game starts out where taught where people are, talking about this event that happened prior to the game six months before. And so that's in June. And then, uh, yeah, right. The the whole, yeah, I don't think, you know, I try pretty hard just, you know, so I, you know, encourage people to obviously, you know, give the game a try and play it. But the ship, the main ship that's in, in the game is, yeah, it's in basically getting fixed because something bad happened to it. Yeah. To begin with and at the very start. Yeah. And so um, I think, you know, we can talk a little bit about uh, some light spoiler elements because um, it's been in the trailers for the game uh, that one of the things that we landed on very early on as well was that we were going to involve the ancient Takan Empire in our story. Right. Um, which yeah. was it, largely because it, it meant that we were spinning off from Star Trek the, the Next Generation and that it would tie us to characters that we might be able to even bring into the game, which uh, we did. We got Jonathan Frakes to play Captain William Riker again. Um, so that was uh, that was a big draw as well to setting something in a universe or a time frame where there were characters that would logically be there rather than do something like the Lost Era of the Enterprise B, right, where you, you're not going to be necessarily be running into um, as many characters. Yeah, so, right. Riker's going to, you know, or Jonathan Frakes has turned into this, like, you know, <laughs> he's shown up on Lower Decks, <laughs> Picard, Star Trek Resurgence. You know, he, he's like the go-to, like, okay, who, we, who do we want to pull in from Trek, you know, that might still, yeah, let's, and, you know, I'll, you know, not to diverge too much, but I, I imagine you guys watched Picard season three. I mean, oh, yeah. the, the guy was fantastic in that. I mean, he's just so fun and, and, and just so loose and just did such a, and, and then when he needed to be dramatic, you know, it was just and the whole stuff with Troy, not, you know, again, not to, not to go on a tangent, but when you mentioned him, I had to say something because well, he, he's just, just he's a fun. favorite. Yeah. And that informed our, our decision to bring him, into uh, our project and he also he just seems like a very i don't know how much you guys actually interacted with him i i've i've had a couple of opportunities to see him and meet him but um he just seems like a very you know great easygoing guy to 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 work with and deal with and the fact that he's directing i gotta also believe that that is correct you know so like who (laughs) let's take some guy who's done trek for a while who also seems to know what he's doing and, and is well-liked, you know. Yeah, that guy, Yeah, Yeah, I got to uh, direct him in the voiceover section, and then uh, I also interviewed him this past uh, uh, December for some of our promotional materials, which uh, have Great. hit the web, where yeah. he, uh, he talks about his time in you know, Next Generation, talks about Star Trek Resurgence, and... Uh, Hopefully there's going to be a longer cut of it because he goes, you know, he's he's a very interesting guy and um, very fun uh, to hang out with and great to listen and yeah. tell stories. Yeah. So the so that gives you a little bit of background on the in, initial stages of the game. The um, 
I guess we've we've sort of touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to say, you know, the the game for for those, and you guys can explain this a little bit further. And I don't know if there were other options you looked at or thought process. And I want to kind of get into briefly, at least, because it's all every subject here for for an hour or so has got to be kind of brief. But most of the game so far that I've played, you know, you end up with these. For the most part, sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three. You have the, you've had these little decision points. You know, you could decide decide you know what what to say, which influences the the game to some degree, and all and so on and so forth. I kind of have sort of two questions about that. One is, was that always kind of the way you wanted to do it? Is is that how much of that is is you as the writers versus the people who do the you know the game itself, the mechanics of the game, and so on? And where there are other options in there, and and then the other sort of second part to that is, and I don't, I I'll just throw it in here. I was going to probably say save it to later. The obvious question would be, how much does that really change how the game moves and evolves? And like, if I went through and played it and made all different choices, how different would the game play out? You know, because there have been games that have done this kind of technique. You know, there are a lot of games that do this technique. But sometimes I get the impression that they don't really change much, and and so that that was kind of a big worded you know a couple things there. But one, I guess, again, how did that develop? Is that always kind of the way you wanted to do it? And then do you write those branch points? How does that work? And then also, how how does that? Can people play this game three or four times, make different choices, and see a lot of different things? So, however you want to tackle that big question. <laughs> Well, I guess I'll start by saying that um, you know, people ask how many endings are there, and we like to say how many good endings are there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the in terms of actually making a game, you've got to build some sets, and you can't build an infinite number. So it doesn't sure. spread out like it doesn't spread out like a fractal. There are there's an arc to it. Um, right. I think really the most important thing is how many satisfying endings can you have based on your first act that you set up. You can't set up you know, all these different things that are going to make sure. sense and feel like you've gone on a well-crafted journey. Um, that said, sort of the the combinations of outcomes are kind of mind-boggling and the different paths that you can take. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there are people that can die, people that can live. Uh, okay. You know, there, there there's a lot that can go on there. Um, but in terms of how many times can you play through, uh, you know, I've seen people talk about playing it through two or three times. I don't know, you know, and how seeing many different people... things, seeing different, and they see different things, different yeah. endings. Um, they play in different styles. They explore mm-hmm. different ways that the relationship play out. But, you know, for us, it's always the most important version is your version. So if your version is the first time you play it, and that's the one that you feel is you embodying the characters the most and, yeah. and being involved in the experience the most, that's the best playthrough i think i think if you're getting academic about it and playing through just to pick different things it could be interesting but it's probably not the version you're gonna remember six months from now yeah when yeah, you I say that. oh what happened in that game um and so well the choices with- are fairly fairly sometimes they're also very subtle like there's n- there, many times the choices i'm looking at them and i'm saying well saying one or two of those things is in my head not knowing exactly how they're going to say it because they give you you know like a a short sentence and then the person will 
speak, but it's it's a little bit more developed than that. They don't just exactly say what's written on the screen. But what I'm so, getting well, at is... Some of the choices yeah. are, Go ahead. are fairly nuanced, for sure. But, uh, you know, we always knew, just to answer the first part of your question, we always sure. knew that this was going to be a player-driven narrative okay. where it's less about shooting and... Uh, you know, more classic game elements. In this style of game, the narrative is the game mechanic. And really right. what what people look for in this sort of game is to be immersed in a world that they love. And so for fans of Star Trek, like you are immersed in this world and you're playing a character on the bridge making really difficult decisions. So yes, there are some sort of nuanced conversational choices, but there's also like big sort of branching uh, choices that determine the fate of characters and the sort of the course of the story. So as an example, you play as as uh, two playable characters. One is Commander Jara Rydak, Rydak on the bridge. And so your play style will really inform your experience where, you know, you're working under a, uh, let's just say, difficult, sometimes difficult captain. And you can choose to... I'm going to say, uh, Andrew, too, by the way, you kind of look like him a little bit. <laughs> I've, I've that a couple times. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's a, there's a reason or if that's if that's intentional in some. Somebody took a picture and go, yeah, we're going to use Andrew and kind of style his face a little different. You should see him there. when his mustache is... Yeah, uh, I just noticed that. Really. Yeah, you're, you're a little... You're looking like the captain, yeah. It's a good thing this is audio only. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but continue. So yeah. So yeah. Were... So so based on your play style, you can choose to follow orders to to a T, and that's perfectly valid, and the game will honor that. Or you can be defiant and uh, really sort of push his buttons at every opportunity and have a completely different experience. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely noticing that. Uh, you know, I, I, I I've said this a few times. I think you got to mute. Yeah, again, Andrew, mute for a second if you could. The I, I don't know why I keep coming back to this topic, but on, on some recent podcasts of myself, I, I've, I've brought up this idea of almost like your game operates. You know, there's a lot of things in your in anybody's life where it doesn't change things very much for you. Right. Like I, I had a bowl of soup for lunch or something or but if you know, there are big points in your what you do sometimes day to day that that can make a big difference in your life, which obviously there are some of these branches in your game that won't change things drastically i'm sure and then other things that will have a much bigger broader change in effect i, I assume that's the case the you know and i didn't necessarily expect that there'd be um you know a hundred different endings or something like that even you know that you're going to change some avenues of how you get there but it's going to lead to a certain you know, a slightly different ending maybe, but I, I'm guessing, and this is just my conjecture based on the way the game seems to be feeling and running so far, is that you're still going to kind of get there. You know, there's one other little point I'll bring up is like there's, it's, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but like I'm now down and exploring this moon on this one part of the game, and it's not like I can go anywhere or do anything. You know, so there's there's limitations on and that that's just the, the style of the game. And it's not built to be this huge open world of I can't jump off a cliff, for example, or something like that. Or maybe I can. Maybe I just haven't found that point yet. But <laughs> you you end the, the game at that point. So 
going back though a little bit on so do you write the dialogue for each of these branches and and is that what you're basically yeah go ahead dan yeah i mean so like andrew said the story is the mechanic and really the writing is the primary um structure for the game like all the things that you do that are not making choices about the narrative there are sections that have been placed there for narrative purposes um you know not just uh because that's you know when you're playing a shooter game you know you've got the shooter levels and then you have to put the narrative around it this goes the other way mm -hmm. um and yep. the the writing defines the choices it's you know we've we have worked on things where there's a more of a divide between writer and designer where you know you'll you'll have a designer somebody who is thinking more just about the path um you know with an eye to the narrative but they're they're thinking about strictly about the path of that they're offering and then the writer comes in and kind of fills in there that was not the process we went through here it was it was writer driven mm -hmm. and it was um you know so it's, so, and that's and that we we write all the dialogue, yeah, uh, and and we come up with what the paths and the choices are. So with that said, how much how much of a connection did you have to the guys doing the visuals? I, I mean, are they are you basically sitting there for whatever period of time, both of you? And I'm not sure how you divide it up, who wrote what, but do you write the whole thing and then you hand it to the guys and say, okay, build this thing in in a in a you know, computer game world, or, or or is it is there a little bit of back and forth to some degree? Like, did you have to change maybe some dialogue for certain you know game elements they wanted to insert? How how does that you know flow? There, it, the whole process is uh -huh. um, it's a constant evolution, uh, starting from a fairly detailed treatment onto writing actual scenes and the dialogue for each scene, but then the dialogue for each branch. And, and sort of the narrative for each branch. And just so for context, a typical two-hour movie script is about 120 pages, and our script was north of 1,600 pages ah. for this. And, and that equates to roughly like a 10-hour experience. And, and just to touch on something you mentioned about like an open-world game where you can kind of go anywhere and do anything, like I love that style of game, Elden Ring, one of my favorite games of the last year. Um, this is different. You didn't throw your controller through the window, though, because everybody that I know that played that game was like, you know, you're dying the 10th time killing, trying to kill us. It looked, it looked like it was frustrating a lot of gamers, for a little while at least, until they get the for hang. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Our game is frustration-free. That's what uh, I like after uh, a hard day of what work. What I'll say about this style of game is that it's very much a crafted experience. Like, they're... It follows a dramatic structure of beginning, middle, and end. Many people have said that you know playing through this game is akin to like a full season of a TV show, um, mm -hmm. yeah, or or like a feature-length movie experience. And so, admittedly, I'm biased as a writer, but it's very much a crafted experience where your choices. Uh, really matter and your uh, connection to the other characters and the relationships that you build like that's where the meaning comes from as opposed to just sort of going anywhere and doing anything or sure saying sure. you know I want to uh, have the Takan as my adversary and then the Klingons as my adversary another time like what you gain in that flexibility you lose in terms of like a crafted experience 
Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, there there are times where you know people have different moods. They want this kind of a game. They want a different kind of a game. But you know, I think the thing I really like about this, I've always been a fan of this style game. You know, even back with because it's really to me, and I've played some of the other Star Trek more, we'll call it more actiony games that they've done. But this is kind of what Star Trek's about. It's really about the story and 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 how people handle what they're thrown you know what's thrown at them and how they deal with these different things a, cu- a couple of things i wanted to say sort of touching on what you said andrew which is i like the way the way you said it's kind of like a season of a show i like how the game is broken up into these little segments and you kind of gave a name to each segment you know and it, they're more or less save points but and they'll take you know they vary in amount of time they're they're fairly you know, fairly quick, 10, 15 minutes maybe, or something to move through each of those branches, each of those segments. Um, but, but I like that a lot. And, and I feel like the, you know, you're what I've seen so far that the story is sort of building and I'm starting to say, Hey, I don't really trust that person. Or maybe this person is, you know, not really on my side or maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And then you're trying to decide like, man, I, I, you know, I didn't see that coming possibly or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it so far and enjoying it quite a bit. Again, it's, it's my kind of game for sure. I think there are, there's a lot of Trek feel to it. I I have to say, I, I wanted to make sure I said this to you and I know you write the game, so I didn't know how much this you're involved, but I'll tell you what, I don't think I've ever gotten a better feel for, Hmm, how do we repair such and such? And I'm not saying that you're sitting around repairing a lot of like, you know, shuttlecraft or, or stuff in this, but you know, when you're watching the shows or the movies of Star Trek, well, let's run, you know, let's run a diagnostic. You never really see that being done, right? It's just like somebody runs off, taps a few buttons, but here you're actually, you know, moving levers, you're pushing buttons, you're, you're scanning areas. And again, I don't feel it's too much, but I feel it's interesting to me at least because it, it, it's finally actually trying to show some of that in a game. I guess branching off from that comment, how did that come about? Did you guys did you guys want to have? Ah, I want to I want to see how they do this kind of stuff when they're trying to figure out like it, it. People I've seen online people describe this game as sort of a bit of a mystery. You know, there there there's this mysterious. There's these two basically two alien races that the Federation is there. Starfleet's there to to try to mediate a peace between these two groups, and they're I don't think these races have ever shown up in Trek before, right, guys? These, nope, these are brand, brand new, new, right? Yeah. So, and um, but during that the course of that, they they start to see find out certain things, and you have to dig into like, well, what's really going on here, and so it is a bit of mystery. You know, you're trying to go out and you know, hey, what what's going on? How come we, why is this happening to the ship now? I don't know, without giving away anything really, but what's, why, why are these things happening? And, and why, why, you know, why at this planet that doesn't make sense, things don't add up and all that. So I've just babbled for a while. But <laughs> I, think I, I've got I don't know if I have a question in there exactly, but go ahead and jump in, Dan, anytime. Let me see if I can work uh, backwards from this. Well, you yeah. know, 
a mystery is an area of discovery and exploration and investigation that has a a hook into your story and your characters and that's kind of the meld perfect melding of star trek and what it embodies is discovery investigation and so putting in this mystery in there is a way to do that uh in a way that isn't just well what's this new thing that you're coming upon that has no meaning or relevance to what you're doing um you know people want to know where mysteries go um Working backwards from that, definitely early on, we wanted to put these types of different gameplay into the game. Um, you know, we we wanted to have tricordering. It felt like it, that was something that kind of you close your eyes and say, what do I want to do on Star Trek? I want to press buttons. I want to, you know, fly a shuttle. I want to shoot a phaser. I want to investigate things with a tricorder. And we put all those things in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Credit where credit is due, figuring out how the, like, actual buttons and screens work that's that was largely our design department headed by jd straw and uh, our art department headed by jesse maccabee um they spent a lot of time you know like there's this sequence early on where you're out on the hull and it's like there's this whole things you gotta flip and things you gotta right. reroute power and then you gotta you know and but you're writing keep... at least what they have to do right you're you're at least in, you're directing that that scene in other words like hey these two crewmen go out on the hull they have to fix a thing and then they they take it from there kind of a a deal um at varying levels i mean some things are verbatim what was written okay what needs to happen what the dialogue is and what kind of each stage it is and in other cases uh particularly where there was more kind of uh design going on that was really driven by them where it says we need to uncover this thing, that thing, and that thing in that order. Okay. And here's the dialogue at the discovery points, and here's where, um, you know, then they they put it into a 3D space and and some of the, you know, the button clicks and the, uh, the like to to advance through information to get there. Um, but uh, you know, going back even further, I did want to highlight something you said, which is that you're having a lot of fun with the relationships um, and managing and trying to figure out who you can trust and. You know, to us, that's really the heart of the game. And people often ask, like, not just, um, you know, how much does the story change based on your choices, but, like, what choices matter, quote, unquote. And, right. you know, which I the, sort, the, yeah. Yeah, go the ahead. game system can remember every click you make. It knows everything you make. Um, mm-hmm. And we as writers then have to keep in our head what's important and what do we want to call back at any given moment. And sometimes we don't know until later on, we say, oh, this would be a great thing to call back to if you know it, and we can do that. Um, but you know, even better than that is the map that the player is making in their own brain, because you know they, part of the sort of the mystery of another person is not knowing what they're thinking and just trying to like keep your idea of what their opinion of some of, of something that's going on is. So as you play and you press the button and you're trying to figure out what do they think of me, you know, I want to make them my friend. You're going to make choices that you don't know what the outcome is until later on. Um, and, sure. uh, you know, the, the greatest game engine is the one in your brain that's keeping track of all of these things. Um, yeah. As you go I wanted to ask, make sure I ask one of the big, let's say, the, the, the way the game is styled, if that's the right word to use. The, you have Rydak, the, the new first officer, and you have Diaz, a lower decks, you know, engineer guy. 
I, I do like a lot that you involve them. You know, you sort of have parallel things going on, like, you know, hey, we've got to solve this mystery. You've got the first officer. She's kind of dealing with the upper level characters and the negotiations and other things that are going on in the game. But then you got the guys down, you know, on lower decks trying to deal with their own things. Did that was that an early decision to have? Because you could obviously have just done, well, you know, the the Diaz, I'm just going to say that's probably where you would lose. It could have easily just been a Rydak story, right? Could have just been let's and all the engineering find out kind of stuff could have just been somebody coming up to the bridge and making a report. So when did you decide or was that something that you definitely wanted to do about, hey, we want to have this sort of let's show that the ship is more than just what goes on on the bridge. It, it was that was that something that came early on? Andrew, did you have? Yeah, yeah. From from the very beginning, we knew we wanted to have uh, two playable characters. And so it was very much intentional to have someone on the bridge, but someone also on the lower decks to capture like the full immersive Star Trek experience. And uh, it's an interesting contrast. And I think one of the things that excited us is that you could be making choices as one character on the bridge that would then ripple through and affect your life uh, in the lower decks and sometimes vice versa. And that sort of handoff of choices I'm making as one character then affecting uh, the experience of my other playable character is just a, like a really interesting dynamic. And then, you know, the, I think the lower decks choice had particular meaning for Dan with his connection to Miles O'Brien. Oh, oh yeah. And Miles O'Brien was one, always one of my favorite your buddy? characters. Yeah. The hardest working man in Starfleet. Oh, Miles um, is fantastic. Yeah, I just I just rewatched uh, that Deep Space Nine episode where he's slipping through time. There, there's an mm-hmm. episode where he sort of sees the the future for a few hours in the future due to some weird techno babble radiation thing. He and Romulans and Klingons around the station. But basically, yeah, I love Miles too. I mean, he's yeah. just. He, they said that every season in Deep Space Nine, they had to do at least one episode where Miles O'Brien was tortured with some sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, either mental prison or time changing on him. Or He's always daughter. got that expression, that bewildered kind of like, why is this happening to me? Kind of look, you know, yeah. so so you, you definitely like the the let's let's show some of the, you know, people beyond the bridge. I did. Of, and yeah. and, um, you know, like the. I think the siege of AR-558 in Deep Space Nine is one of the only other episodes where you see potentially enlisted characters in any sort of way with the with the soldiers that are there. Um, but, you know, it's uh, Star Trek. Starfleet is a space Navy, right? I mean, it, it is what it is. I think that there was an, an idea initially um, that Reed, Gene Roddenberry had that it was it was going to be more of a professional organization that everybody went to the academy. But that's. You know, clearly not the case and it's something that it just seemed like a great place to expand the lore you know and that's part of the fun of working in something like star trek where but that has such a great world and so much lore is that it's almost like having more rules gives you something a, a better foundation upon which to build something new like you know the the show lower decks which i love and mike mcmahon is a fan of the game and i'm a fan of the show he, uh, you know, he has his lower decks characters uh, start out as ensigns, like they went to the academy. But, you know, it's forgetting the whole enlisted crew and, and you know, yeah. enlisted, enlisted uh, personnel make 
the Navy go around, make the Army go around. Well, and... I, I like what Andrew said too, which is, and this is rarely seen, and is is you know it's been seen a little bit in Trek and in the shows and things like that. But the, I like the idea, you know, and this is true for anyone in real life, is that you know you you just sitting around making decisions and making your, you know, make going forward with your own life, you can. That's a big part of wherever you get from A to B to C to D, whatever. But there are other things, other people, other factors that influence you. And you can't, you know, most games never generally focus on like, you know, you just plow through, right? You're the guy, you're there sitting, you're in first person mode or whatever it is. And you're, you're nothing else is, nothing else matters, right? Not, nothing else affects you very much, except whatever you have to plow through in the game to, to get to your objective. But the idea that somebody else is, has to, you know, you, you, you kind of, I, I get, I guess the other side of that would be any, any kind of team games. That's a little different. I, I'm, I'm thinking of, of, you know, a first person perspective in a game where even, even with this, you could have easily, again, just done, it could have just been a ride act show or something like that, where she just goes through and everybody else kind of follows toe, you know, toes in and just comes in and does what they need to do and moves on. But, um, well, even with the Rydeck character, um, you know, she comes in, she's a new first officer on the ship, uh, replacing somebody that was beloved uh, and died in an accident, which you can uh, you know, read about in the Star Trek Resurgence comic book that Andrew and I wrote for IDW. It's a prequel set that six months before. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that we said is, you know, it, what is the just no brainer version of this? You're playing as a captain, right? But playing as a captain, particularly on your own ship away from other, uh, you know, away from the Admiralty, you know, people aren't pushing back on you in the same way. Whereas for Jara, she's caught between the, yeah. the rest of the senior staff and the captain. And sometimes, you know, the senior staff are on the side of the captain and she's on the side of some other senior staff. Um, and then the senior staff has this kind of holdover, you know, trauma where she's, she's coming in replacing somebody that, was very important to them well, as the old first officer. Yeah. So yeah, there's sure. there's just a lot to work with there, as opposed to just like I'm in charge, do, the, do what I have to. I'm in charge, yeah. do what I say exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to the say. Nice thing I'll just go ahead, say Andrew. Yeah. The uh, two POV structure um, really lends itself to almost like the structure of the shows, where you know you are going from the A storyline to the B storyline and jumping between different characters like it's kind of nice that because the game is structured in chapters like each chapter then hands off to the next pov and you end on something of like a, a cliffhanger so that then you come back and pick up where you had left off and it's like okay i've got to resolve whatever issue they're dealing with in that moment and it's just like sort of a nice cadence for a game experience yeah exactly and i i, I have to say i I, yeah, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. And, and you know, I, I, occasionally I don't talk about it too much on my podcast, but I I'll occasionally will throw out, hey, if I was to write a story or a script or or do a game, like what would I, you know, what are the things I would want to do? And this is more of my idea of what I would want to do, which is not be, you know, you can't, if if no one is giving you like, a second opinion or, or pushing back, like you said, Dan and, and Andrew too, it just, it doesn't really work very well. It's not very dynamic. It's not very interesting and so on. But I have to ask though, 
there's a little bit of a Burnham quality here, a little bit of a Star Trek discovery, you know, being the the new person getting a little not really very well liked and stuff. Was that, would you say, an influence at all? Are you guys in in heavy into discovery? Because there's a little bit of my my point with this is when discovery was first talked about and when it started they really pushed and, and had the whole idea of like, oh, we're, this this show is not going to be about a captain. You know, we're going to show like somebody else and a different perspective. And it's going to be from their point of view more and so on, although that's changed and we could do a whole talk about that. But but my point is, I, I, I like that idea. Sometimes in practice, it becomes I think for a game like this, it's 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 very doable. And, and but you you obviously can't stay with that situation. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. But. I guess it just boils down to was that a little bit of an influence on on using uh, first officer as one of the the point of views characters, one of the main characters? Would uh, we you were say? Certainly aware of it, but I don't think it was really an influence. Um, okay, we definitely drew inspiration from sort of across the entirety of Star Trek history. Uh, the motion picture was a big influence in a lot of the ways it's, that it influenced the next generation. Um, yeah, well, and... we've got to jump in, but I know we're, I don't want to keep you really guys more than an hour. We've probably got about five, six minutes left. So I, I do have to mention, and it's in the trailer, so I don't feel like this is a spoiler, but Spock is in this game. Of course, yes. it's not Leonard Nimoy, unfortunately. I think the guy does a pretty good job at the voice, but so was that one of the, like, you, you know, if you're giving you know, the powers that be a list of, hey, you said early on in the in this recording, you know, about this is what we want to kill, you know, th- we'd like to go after this. And you have Riker in there a little bit and, and like Spock's in it quite a bit. So was that was that a, you know, we want Spock. <laughs> Andrew? I, was, I think that was sort of a, uh, a, a wish list item for all of us because he's such an iconic character um, and he brings so much gravitas to every scene he's in and um, yeah, I got to say so real yeah. quick is because I'm a big original series fan. And anytime I make like I'm talking like Rydak and Spock like says, yes, Rydak, that's that's a quite, you know, like I feel like Spock's approving of me. So I, that's probably what you guys are shooting for, which I wanted to make sure I mentioned that it's like, oh, Spock likes me. <laughs> well, and I think that cuts both ways because I've seen uh, commentary from people who got disapproval from Spock. And oh yeah. They have been haunted by it. So oh, boy. Again, well, I, hopefully that won't happen, but I reflect the way that you play it. And Spock doesn't always, you know, give his blanket approval to some of your choices. Uh, well, I will, I, know that, I will you know, say for real, Spock real was a, quick, sort of a dream for Dan as well. Yeah. I, I yeah. will say real quick, and this is just me personally, but I, I, I don't, really find myself and maybe you'll find this interesting i don't know you've heard from other people that you've done interviews with or just people that have mentioned or, or said they played the game but i i, I find I'm, ma- I'm not making these decisions i feel like i'm almost like an actor like i'm trying to make these decisions like i feel like rydak would make them or diaz would make them given the circumstances i don't really feel so much like it's me how I would react necessarily when I'm making these. I'm like, okay, based on what I know about Rydek or what I know about Diaz or whoever, 
how would they react to this? So I, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that's what you're shooting for, or maybe people different. I'm sure that people play different styles. Maybe there are people who, who pick whatever they feel is the most annoying answer or on the decision tree, they go, okay, which one's going to get me into the most trouble? That one, you know, I, I would never probably do that, but I, basically I, I, I'm finding myself playing like I think the character would respond based on what I've seen with the character so far. Does that make sense? And is that, was that kind of part of what you guys did when, when you were writing it? Like you had sort of like a, a draft of what these characters are, you know, what their personalities are like. And I'm sure that you had an idea of like how they would react. And when you're going through the choices, I guess it's, you know, yeah, so, I don't know. So, Go ahead, Dan. You yeah. know, when we approach it, there's no wrong choice in the game mm -hmm. as far as we're concerned. So every choice is a potentially right choice for um, whether it's Jar or Carter. There are none that were just like, that's the wrong choice. Um, you know, I think that if there are, it's, you know, below 1% of choices uh, where we're like, that one just doesn't feel right. Um, it's probably lower than that because there are a lot of choices in the game. Uh, I think that the way you talk about playing is a lot of the way that we want people to play the game, which is you're thinking like the character um, and you're role playing as the character and you're embodying yeah. the character. Yeah. Uh, there are definitely people that we've seen who say, I'm going to do a chaos run. I'm just going to try to <laughs> upend the, you know, the chessboard at every opportunity. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Uh, since the game came out, I will admit that I and maybe others will admit that they have watched uh, Twitch streamers. And sometimes you get a good Twitch streamer who's given really interesting commentary about what their thought process is. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, I think that I think uh, this person would do this. I really want to, like, tell this person to go piss jump. Off. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Carter would you know, say this instead, he would be yes. the good officer. So I'm going to play that way. And you can tell that they're having an emotional reaction to it. And that, you know, to them, Carter is a person that has like their own personality in a way that, that they would do a thing in their kind of, you know, mental map of who Carter is. And that's really, yeah, I've, I've definitely hit multiple times where that's run that exact, I sort of thought process has gone through my brain, which is basically like, oh, I really want to choose, you know, whatever choice three, because this guy's being a jerk or whatever it happens to be. And, but no, I think this is what they would really do. This is, you know, like there's this scene where they're meeting one of the, the, the queen of the Hatari thing, right? And everybody's bowing in front. It's like, I'm not going to bow. I don't, Rydak doesn't bow. And then she kind of gets a little chastised for it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. All right. Now I'll knuckle under a little bit. That's just one example that comes to mind, which is, which is like, you know, even Spock, I think bows, right? I think he even does it because yeah, he's there first. And it's like, no, she just doesn't seem like someone who would bow in front of, I don't care who it is. I don't know. Maybe that's a little my own that I'll admit that's probably a little of my own personality coming through, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it where you're you're trying to get into these characters' heads and things like that. I mean to, well, to, in the same in the same way that as writers you invest pieces of yourself into the characters, even if sure. you're trying to craft somebody that's different yeah. from you, you as the player, you are bringing some of yourself to the choices that you make. And you know, we oftentimes will talk about these games as being little personality tests and seeing like what do you value and um 
you know, at some point you might make a choice that surprises you that you think actually, you know, maybe maybe challenges the way you think about your sort of moral philosophy, like, you know, the trolley problem we've all heard, right, about the 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 trolley racing down the track at five people. You can pull a lever and have yeah. it switch off and hit one person, right? And it's sort of, well, what, you know, we, we try to give you little versions of that, Um I have a quick I have a quick analogy because I work in the automotive industry and I'm, you know, in the Detroit area. And I have a quick, quick comment about your trolley example that I always like to use, which is about self-driving cars these days. Right. You have a self-driving car. You have a self-driving car going down a road. Now, everything in a self-driving car has to be programmed. Somebody has to write that self-driving car is going down a road. Maybe you're on, you know, Pacific Coast Highway, whatever, or some other, you know, let's say a, a not so safe road in some places on that on that and and uh, an animal a dog runs out in front of you what do you do what what is the, how does the computer you could run the car off the road and maybe hurt yourself or you hit the dog what do you what do you do now the computer has got to be programmed to do whatever do you always avoid collisions at all costs how, how do you you know it's it's to me that's interesting that's why i always think self-driving cars are kind of a long way off but uh whether you a person can make the right choice or not, but if if you got to program all those decisions into <laughs> into a computer, I, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time doing it. I'm a big animal lover. I'd run off the cliff. <laughs> so the uh, I'm, I'm sure in the, you know in the 24th century, uh, <laughs> data was you know dealing with those same quandaries as well. Yes, Andrew, do you, do you have something to add to that one? I was just going to say that's sort of the conundrum we confront the player with, and that <clears throat> because there's not. A single right choice. Yes. Um, people will often pause the game and sort of grapple with, like, what choice do I want to make here? I feel like this is the best expression of my values, and I have to make this choice. Whereas their friend could be playing and make the diametrically opposed choice, but both are equally valid. Yeah, and and, and we'll we'll wrap up here in a second. But the what I wanted to say. There's there's a, a scene in the in early part of the game where you're it's sort of a life and death situation and the captain is is away from the bridge and Radex in control at the time and 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 I'm like you know she's got to make this decision about maybe you know doing what the captain wants her to do versus what she wants to do and it, there's there's lives at stake type of situation you know and it's it's the whole you know Star Trek is kind of always been you 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 know the the whole classic spock line you know the the needs of the many you know needs the needs of the one you know kind of a thing that that's easy to say in theory except honestly star trek always tries to save everyone as best they can correct so so it's it's not it's not so cut and dry of like you said andrew about you know and dan i think you said it as well which is and, and it's funny, I, I you know, I, I've told my kids this and I've told, you know, people like most of the time in your life, there isn't a, a, a lot, you know, with big decisions, it's it's there's there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray. There's not it's not black and white at all. So, uh, you know, anyway, you know, the game, I'm really enjoying it a lot. I, I think it's it's my kind of game. It, it's very Star Trek. I, you guys did definitely did your homework. I'm really impressed with the, just the, just the style of it. I think is 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 interesting, and I think a lot of Trek fans would enjoy it a lot. I, I don't know. I think I wanted to ask before we finish. So where do you go from here? I guess that's the obvious thing to say. Is there, 
another one in the works? Is is it an, a one and done? Or is there anything you guys can mention for the future for this at all? Um, whether Nothing it's going to be... that we can say for the future exactly, but okay. um, I hope that this is not the last uh, time we get to spend time with the crew of the USS Resolute. You know, Andrew and I wrote the comic in part because we loved these characters and loved the world um, and didn't want to... Uh, didn't want to finish our tour of duty. So we signed on for uh, the comic book. It's a prequel, but we wrote it after we wrote the game. Cool. Andrew, what what are your final thoughts or, or comments about this? Uh, well, we would love to, we would love the opportunity to continue telling the story of the crew of the USS Resolute and um, hope that in the future we have that opportunity. I'll leave it at that. Great. Yeah. The, um, so what what else um is there any other projects you guys wanted to mention real briefly either that you've done i saw you did let me i had it pulled up here a second ago you've done i could probably maybe if you'd ever like to talk about it uh i'm a big batman fan it looks like you guys have done some batman stuff and what else do i see walking dead you know i kind of stopped in the walking dead but i boy that that new show coming when Rick and Michonne are together that I don't know if I can resist watching that or not. Um, but anything else you guys have in the offing either that you've done or, or anything coming up that you can talk about that you want to mention real briefly before we go. Well, I'll just mention that, you know, Dan and I, uh, and really the whole production team first started at telltale, the company that sort of pioneered this style of player driven narrative. And so we worked on some really amazing franchises like, um, game, of Thrones, Batman, The Walking Dead, as you mentioned. And so when we had the opportunity to work on Star Trek, as opposed to a different star franchise that I will not mention. You know, <laughs> are, there, what, are there Wookiees and lightsabers in that one? <laughs> uh, that might be one. Um, but, you know, what, what's interesting is that that's very much a story of light side and dark side, very sort of binary. And yeah. I think you mentioned earlier, Rico, like what makes this the perfect uh marriage of franchise and format is that all of those shades of gray are what makes the story so compelling mm -hmm. right it's not yeah. so cut and dried it's not good or evil uh and there's more ways to solve a problem that's what really drew us to to track yeah yeah and through all of those other games that we worked on there was sort of a running comparison that we would go to long before Star Trek was even on the horizon as an actual game, which is that we would say, how do you craft a compelling choice? And the uh, the way that Spock and McCoy would pull on Kirk was often uh, a model we would go to because you know there was no wrong answer in yeah. the original series where, you know, you could see Kirk going with either Spock or McCoy or whatever kind of third way he has come up with um, at any given point in time and say that feels like it is organic to Star Trek. It is in keeping with the values that it, it is presenting. It's just there are sometimes different ways to do things and what you value in that moment will drive you in one direction or another. And so, you know, this was in some ways a long time coming, even if it was the first game from dramatic labs it, it was percolating in ways for years and years yeah no that's i appreciate you saying that 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 makes a lot of sense to me and 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 mentioning the you know the the classic you know kirk spock and mccoy situation is is very appropriate you know that that dynamic i i think they've 
I think that they've sort of branched off on that on other shows and movies and series and so on. I think that's a very common, you know, and it's it's the way I think people operate anyway for the, for the most part. I mean, they they you know people will reach out to you know people that they have friendships with, family, and so on, and get their advice at different times, and then make their own choice. You know, I'm a big believer. You know, I think we live in an era where I think making your own choice is good, but it's always all good to listen to others as well. So, it, you know, there's a very philosophical, <laughs> soapboxy thing, but but it's it's basically the way I operate or I try to at least. Although people would say I'm a little bullheaded sometimes. I don't believe that, but <laughs> but the I think that's just called experience. That's what I like to call it. But um, hey, one last question that I just popped into my mind, guys. Since you're writers, I, I, I mean, have you? I mean, is there a, you know the, the idea of writing a Trek novel or an, another franchise novel or anything like that? Besides comics, you, you know, which I'm a big comic fan. I have like eight, literally eight thousand single issues of comics in many wow. boxes. Yeah, yeah, I've read for. Since I was basically in high school, so a long time, weekly comics, yeah. Well, I think, you know, there. I think of myself as a writer more than, you know, a video game writer. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's okay. sort of, uh, and whatever the format is, I think that uh, as long as I'm telling stories, that's what I want to do. Um, so Have I've, you poked around that. on that? Is that a whole different category? I'm just real curious, and, I, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up at the, the – um, Writing like a Trek novel is that like a a beast of a thing to just like I mean how well, locked up is that to, compared to the the one of these I, I think it's probably easier. There are few types of storytelling that are going to be as complex and uh, left brain oriented as this with its you know various twisting turning. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think any of it's easier. Um, it's just different, and uh, you know. As you do it more, you get better at it. But uh, I've written a narrative podcast uh, for uh, promotions for Halo. It was a uh, for Halo Infinite, and okay. um, you know I do. What all do you think of, of the writing. TV show? By the way, real quickly. I mean, do you do you do you like it? Have you watched the show? Uh, I not... do enjoy it. I yeah. I, I, um, I think it's uh, it's part of the mountain of entertainment on Paramount Plus. Subscribe now. <laughs> um, but it's I think it's really interesting. I think that the the whole adaptation and putting it in its own timeline was smart. I don't think you want to just retell the story of Halo one as much fun as it is. I don't think that that's what you want to do with the show. And so giving it its own timeline, I think it's, it's smart in the same way that JJ Abrams 2009 reboot was smart in that it doesn't invalidate anything. Right. And that 2009 didn't invalidate anything that you loved about the prime universe. Didn't say it didn't exist. It actually said it does exist, but it gave a jumping off point that, made some logical sense why you have you know why things look different why think why storylines aren't playing out the way that history has and you it's know, good old edict of infinite you know diversity and infinite combinations it's kind of like i mean i i get that some people you know you're going to have your favorites and your your things you like more than others but you know i think it's always good i, I i've always had a little hard time to understand where if you're if somebody's a real star trek fan that they are, aren't open-minded enough to at least, you know, give a shot to, um, or try, you know, some of the new things. And then if you don't care for them, that's fine too. But, but it's, it's just, you can't, 
we're, we're also in an age of if you gave people exactly the same thing, you, you fade them, you know, keep feeding them vanilla pudding every day, they'd complain about that. And if you give them, you know, a new kind of pudding every day, they'll complain about that. You know, there's no there's no win. There's no way to win that kind of you just have to do and stay. I think you guys did, you know, just do what you think is is what you want to do and what's what you feel will be entertaining rather than it's a dangerous game to start. Well, what what are people going to think if you start playing that about what are they going to think about this or that or whatever? So, no, thanks. Yeah, we made we made the game we wanted, and we're glad that people like it. Yeah, no, I I'm in, I'm really much enjoying it, and I'll I'll shoot you guys a little note or email when I'm done with it, and let you know what you know how I feel it wrapped up for me and everything like that. And again, um, thanks thanks so much for taking some time to talk about this Star Trek Resurgence, folks. Check it out. You can find it. I didn't say this yet, but it's on. Basically, every platform, you know, you can play it on PC, you can play it on PlayStation, you can play it on Xbox, and it's easy to find. And honestly, I don't think it's very expensive. I mean, not to get into that that much, but it's not as expensive as some games out there. So I, I kind of appreciate that, frankly. But um, yeah, and I'll have a couple of giveaway codes for for those listening. We'll we'll set that up on the on the website and stuff, and on the on the uh, Facebook group. But yeah, thanks Andrew, thanks Dan. I uh, hope your weather's better than than mine will be for the next week or two. And uh, do you guys ever go to Comic Con? Do you do that kind of stuff? Um, not necessarily regularly, but uh, we went two years ago to talk about Resurgence. Uh, okay. And- I was in Las Vegas for the STLV 57-year mission to talk about Resurgence with uh, just in August, du- yeah, in August with Elias Tufexis, who plays one of our character, very important characters, and he's actually on season five of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, that's um, great! All, all done great. up in rubber makeup. Uh, so <laughs> I think no, he's he is both a screen actor and a um, uh, a voice talent. But I think when you're acting through all of that makeup, it's uh, it's good to have a good voice, which he does. So, um, yeah, you know, great. we don't have any convention appearances on the horizon specifically right now. But uh, the game comes out on Steam and other PC platforms uh, in May of 2024. So um, you might see us you might see us out uh, ringing the bell around then. OK. Very good, guys. And just hang on one second. I'm going to stop the recording. But everyone, thanks for listening. And and. Uh, I'll be back in a week or two with a new Trex and Sci-Fi. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Andrew. And we're out. Transfer of data is complete. Well, hey, folks. I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview and discussion about Star Trek Resurgence with Andrew and Dan. Big thanks to them. Uh, also, wanted to say that uh, I have, if you're still listening, I have a couple of Xbox remaining xbox uh codes to download and play the game for free that with the code you can you know do that if you want those codes all you got to do email me at treksf at gmail.com and next week should be a skip week for the podcast i'll be back in about two weeks with a new show take care everyone bye-bye
This has been a Rico Dosti podcast production.